Well, hey, welcome to Sojourn. Uh, my name is Cliff. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you've been uh, here over the last few weeks, you've realized that Jamal's on a break. And uh, thankfully, I got to spend a little time with him last night, and he's looking better than ever. So get ready, because he's coming back. And uh, uh, so you pray for him and his family. They're moving uh, right now uh, into a house closer to the church. They're going to be able to walk to church. Uh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, so you want to pray for him and his family. Um, as they do that. Hey, uh, I don't get a chance to speak super, super freely, freely to you all very often together in one big group. Uh, so I should take a moment just to say thank you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to be your pastor, uh, one of your pastors. Uh, my wife, Sally, and I have been at Sojourn now for a little over 10 years. Uh, we have been on staff now for a little over three. And I can't tell you what a gift and, and unique opportunity it is uh, for us to be able to serve in this capacity, in the place in which we've grown up. And so uh, I want you to know I'm deeply grateful uh, for your trust and for your generosity that allows me to have a full-time job. Uh, I'm thankful for that, and I, I don't take it for granted. I want you to know as well um, that I love you all. There's many of you I don't know, uh, but I want you to know I love you. And, and there's many of you I do know really, really well, and I love you too. And, uh, and that means I love my job. And so I want you to know I'm thankful, deeply grateful for that opportunity. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to preach God's word this morning as well. We are in a series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And today we are hitting the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. So if you would, please stand to your feet. Let's read from Luke chapter 5. As we have been doing through this series, we are looking at the life of Christ and seeing stories in his life in which he exhibited the presence and power and fruit of the Holy Spirit. Luke 5, verses 12 through 16 say this. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Our God and Father, we come to you as children. We come to you knowing that you desire deep relationship with us and you have made that known by your kindness to us through Christ our Lord. You have made that known to your kindness to us, making what was true about Jesus true about us, that we are your beloved sons and daughters and you are well pleased with us. May we hear and listen to that voice this morning. And may we respond, showing kindness to others as you have shown it to us. We pray this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So I know the story is pretty simple, not too complicated. You probably got the point. Uh, but in case you didn't, I want to do a dramatic interpretation of the story. I'm just kidding. Not too dramatic. Uh, I want to break it down for you just a little bit, though, just to highlight a few of the things that I feel like God has impressed upon me. 
In this story of kindness we see from the life of Christ, I think the theme that I have picked up on this week is that Jesus does what no priest or human could ever do. Jesus does what no priest could ever do. This leper comes to Jesus and it is extraordinary. This scene is extraordinary. It is not an ordinary thing for a leper to come into contact with a community. You see, lepers lived outside of the city. They were in quarantine. They were, they were broken, sick, desperate people who had to live in isolation because, uh, because of the contagiousness of their disease. And in the Old Testament law, we see that there is, there is laid out very particular instructions about those who suffer from leprosy. And not only was, was this uh, believed to be contagious, but I want you to see that this was difficult to look at as well. This wasn't just an ordinary man walking up to a crowd. This was a man that no doubt caused people to turn their faces away. Luke, uh, a physician, is the author of, of this particular book, and, and he, he knows health, health issues. And he says this is an advanced case of leprosy. This man's body was full of leprosy. He was possibly missing limbs. His skin was, was corroding. Can you imagine the scene of the people looking away? And not only that, but it was unlawful for them to be near him. For if you touched a leper, if you came into contact with a leper, you yourself now had to go live with the lepers. You became unclean. This man is desperate. Either he has broken the law and come into the city because he is so desperate for cleansing, or he heard Jesus was passing his way and he did everything he could in his power to get there. And when he gets there, he, he falls on his face to the ground and he begs Jesus to heal him. Do you see the picture? It's very clear too that this man knows Jesus can heal him. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper knows that he needs Jesus. He knows that Jesus is his only hope. He knows that Jesus can heal him. Jesus had a reputation at this point, but he doesn't directly ask Jesus to do, to do this. It seems that he's certain that if you want to make me clean, if you're willing to make me clean, you can. And Jesus does two things in response to this man. First, he says, I am willing be clean. But he doesn't just speak words. He reaches out his hand. And as he reaches out his hand, you can imagine all of the people looking on, all of the people who knew what was about to happen. Jesus was about to be made unclean. They were like, no, Jesus, no, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Just speak the words. We know you can do that. But he doesn't do that. He reaches out his hand. He he places it on this man. He touches the untouchable. Jesus shows perfect kindness by making an unclean man clean. No law-abiding Jew would ever touch a leper. They knew what would happen. But what happens here as Jesus lays hold of the man, Jesus does not become unclean. The man becomes clean. 
Luke is telling us here in this story that Jesus can do what no priest or no human could ever do. A priest would have instantaneously been declared unclean, but not Jesus. So do you see these two there together? Jesus with his hand resting upon this man, an unclean, sick, isolated, desperate man. One who is hard to look at. And Jesus has his hand on him. And he has faith that Jesus can heal him. And Jesus, a clean, intentional, willing, vulnerable man who can do for this man what no priest could ever do. In this story, we see the kindness of Jesus, that it doesn't simply heal the leper's body, it also heals his soul, and it reconnects him to God and to God's family, his community. Jesus makes himself vulnerable because he knows that he has what this man needs. In this story of kind, and in this story of kindness, we see the kindness of God. We see the power and the fruit of the Holy Spirit that touches the untouchable, that heals the hopeless, that brings the isolated back into relationship. And the news of Jesus' kindness had gone before him. This man knew he, would, he could heal him. And, and as the, the news of Jesus' kindness after this fact, it says it spread further and more people came to receive healing from their sicknesses. So do you see the leper? Do you see Jesus? Do you see the seeds of kindness that are being planted here? You see, the seed of kindness must be planted to bear the fruit of kindness. This leper knew he needed salvation. He knew he needed healing. He was desperate. And perhaps the fact that we don't bear the, the, the fruit of kindness in our lives is a sad result of the fact that we have such a hard time being willing to receive the seed of kindness into the soil of our souls. This man's souls, this man's soul had been tilled up. He was ready for planting. But often we find ourselves not in the place of the leper, but in, in a different place not ready or willing to receive from our Lord. One of the most challenging things for me to learn in my spiritual journey is that it is more blessed, though it is more blessed to give than to receive, all giving must be preceded by receiving. You don't get fruit without a what? A seed. You gotta have a seed to plant the tree to get the fruit. I don't go to the farmer's market though and find many farmers just selling seeds right? They're all selling produce. They're selling the product of the seed because that's what I want. And I want it now. I want to take it home and put it on my grill. I don't want to plant a seed and watch it grow and wait for all that. That takes work and discipline. It takes receptivity. It takes a softness. It takes a tilling of the soul for the seed of kindness to be planted and to bear fruit. So first we see in the leper the seed of salvation planted. As our, as our eyes are opened for our need for forgiveness and healing, we must respond to the kindness and willingness of Jesus to heal us and to save us. Are you longing for healing? Are you 
longing for salvation. You must know God in order to show the kindness of God. Do you believe he's willing to heal you? Do you believe he wants to save you? Do you believe that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive the kindness of our God that leads to repentance and salvation. But then at the end of the story, we see this other line. And and it's so interesting that it's placed here. But Jesus, as often as he could, withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. What I think we see here is the seed of surrender. Perhaps you've received the salvation of our Lord and you've been made clean. You are a new creature in Christ. Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% human. And there's no doubt that the pressures of his life got to him at times. The people were pressing in. So as often as he could, he separated himself. He withdrew. He went to the -the out-of-the-way places. He went to the wilderness and he prayed. He knew he needed to recharge. He needed to hear. He needed to listen to his father, remind him of his love. He needed to surrender to his father. If we surrender, our eyes are open to the fact that we have limits, that we cannot show kindness to others without receiving kindness ourselves. But often we are too busy, too noisy to receive kindness. Our phones get in the way. Our schedules, our calendars get in the way. Our activity, our action gets in the way of our contemplation, of our quietness. There's no intentional receiving. There's no getting away to listen. No doubt when Jesus gets away, he hears the words of his father, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He hears the blessing. So much of prayer is listening to the blessing of our Lord. When is the last time you stopped to listen to the blessing? That what the father said to Jesus at his baptism, he's saying to you, you are my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. When's the last time you opened your hands in a posture of receiving, of surrender, and prayed. I had lunch last week with my friends Andy and Sarah, and they shared a poem with me as we were talking about this series, The Fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about this need for the the fruit. There have to be a seed planted first, right, before we can bear the fruit, and how all of these fruit, they seem to, to, to require receiving first before we can show the fruit. And And what they shared with me was this poem by Tina Esmaker. It says this, It was a silent death, a quiet death, a deal made between the soul and the seasons to let the seed drop into the ground without a fight, without a sound. So often we're fighting the seed of surrender, the seed of salvation that God is pursuing us with. How his kindness yet pursues us, we sang earlier. And we're fighting. We're too loud to hear it. We must quiet our souls. Let the soil of our soul open up and receive the seed of kindness. And as we do that, we know that up from that ground will sprout the fruit of the Spirit. Christian kindness is defined as this. Vulnerability from inner security for the benefit of another. 
Christian kindness is this, vulnerability from inner security for the benefit of another. So we're going to kind of break that down. Three things. Vulnerability. It's risky kindness. Christian kindness is risky kindness. It's not safe. Jesus either walked outside the gate and allowed a lawbreaker to come to him, or he was inside the gate doing his thing. The lawbreaker comes up, and instead of running away so he doesn't become unclean, right, he stays put. He, he, he makes himself vulnerable and opens himself up. Yes, he knew he was God, but he had the freedom to break the rules and break that Old Testament law because he knew he had what it took to make this man clean. We often underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, forgetting that we have the power to take risks and show kindness to others in ways that unbelievers do not have. You see, there's a difference between Christian kindness and worldly niceness, right? This week, I had a chance to get away for a few hours, uh, went to one of my favorite places, down in uh, uh, south of Bardstown, um, the Abbey of Gethsemane. It's a quiet place. It's a beautiful place. If you've never been there, go get it. Go, go there and get you some fudge and uh, talk to the monks. They're, I mean, you know, you got you to be discerning, but they're, they're good people, all right? And, and I was there this, this week sitting there just being quiet and looking up a hill to my favorite place. This is my favorite spot at the Abbey. This is looking at my favorite spot. My favorite spot is just behind that little thing of brush and that cross right there. I was sitting there looking at it, enjoying it. It was so nice, serene, and beautiful. It's kind of a pretty picture. I'm, not, I'm kind of proud of it. I'm not going to lie. And I sat there, and then I decided, you know, hey, I'll walk up there. That's my favorite spot. I'll just walk up there and, and have uh, some moments of just silent prayer behind this cross. There's two little chairs that overlook the valley. And so I started walking up the hill. And as I got closer to this place, I, I found myself getting a little bit critical. I was just sitting there thinking about how beautiful this looked. And then I get a little closer and I see this. I'm like, hey guys, could we trim the bushes? I mean, you know, like it's a cross. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of supposed to be a nice place, but it felt just kind of, you know, it just could have been nicer and neater. Came a little critical of that. I continued walking and I walked around to the back of this big stone mound and I, 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 I looked up and this is what I saw. Beautiful, beautiful picture. And I was reminded that if I just sit back and I look, it seems so nice. As I walk a little closer, it gets a little harder right? It gets, it gets, things become a little more clear and the brush starts to show itself. Things seem a little, little more dirty or ugly. But as I drew even closer, it got more beautiful. And as I drew even closer, I climbed up the rocks to the top and here's what I see. A name, a man's name. Who built this? And I was reminded that there was a particular person attached to this particular place. And this man has a story. I don't know what it is. I Googled it. There was nothing. It's probably really old. I mean, he is old. He's not even alive anymore, I'm sure. But I'm sure he has an amazing story. 
And I think this is how kindness and niceness kind of are differentiated in our lives. If we just sit back and look, right? Stay in our chair, look out at the distance. We see a lot of beautiful people and we can say some really nice things about them, right? They're pretty. God makes beautiful people. But then when we get up close and I get to know Chad a little closer, I'm like, Chad, you know, you got to work on some stuff, man. You're not as pretty as I thought you were. But then as I listen to Chad's story, as I look closer at him, created in the image of God, I see a beautiful, beautiful person. And as I listen to his particular story and I know his name and I know who he is and I know the call on his life and I know his heart for people, it changes everything. And I'm able to show kindness to this man as I get to know him. That's kindness. Niceness sits back and says, hey, Chad, you look good over there. Niceness says, I'll pray for your wound, but I won't touch your wound. Kindness touches the wound. Kindness gets all the way up in it and gets to know the name and gets to know the story. It's risky. James chapter two says this. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. That's pretty nice. But then you don't give the person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Niceness sees a homeless man and says, hey, here's five bucks, go get you some lunch. Kindness says, hey, come eat lunch with me. Being nice is low risk. Being kind is sacrificial. It means there's potential for being hurt. And I think it means opening myself up to emotional risk as well. Not simply just physical risk, emotional risk. It's a demand on our soul. The kindness of hospitality means that we welcome those who are different than us. It's not comfortable. Kindness in your marriage means being emotionally present and available, possibly to a spouse who doesn't know Christ or a spouse who just has no desire to pursue closer relationship. Kindness in parenting is risky. Staying present to your children when you feel like you want to run away, that's risky. That's, that's God's kind of kindness, though. Some of you show risky kindness every day when you wake up and you go to work. Caretaking for an elderly parent or someone nearing the end of life, that's demanding. It feels hopeless. Visiting those who are sick or traumatized, if you're a nurse or medical professional, you know about the emotional demands of this kind of kindness. What it look like for us to take the risk to draw near to those who live with mental illness and people with special needs. Those with autism, schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, the statistics on how our culture treats these kinds of people is devastating. It's heartbreaking. We just perpetuate the problem, but Christian kindness cares for those who live with mental illness. They can change, they can change people. We can draw near. Relational connection changes people. 
We can sit back and we can look at a world, the world from a distance and bear the, we can't sit back and look at the world from a distance and bear the fruit of kindness. We must press in. Kindness requires solidarity. Kindness requires we draw near, take a risk as Jesus did and make the pain of another our own. Henry Nouwen says this, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice and solutions or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain, touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. We won't be remembered for our niceness, but rather for our Christ-like, Holy Spirit-empowered, vulnerable kindness. Secondly, Holy Spirit kindness is humble kindness. It's humble kindness. It's not self-promoting. It comes from a deep inner security. Jesus instructs the man, don't tell anyone. Simply go to the priest and and receive a ceremonial cleansing. Jesus' motivation for this kindness was not self-promotion. We must ask ourselves sometimes, do we have an exaggerated need to be needed? We have to recognize the motives of our actions. Humility is the result of a deep sense of inner security. It's knowing who I am in Christ. It can happen so easily that our kindness is an attempt to prove our value to ourselves and others rather than being motivated by who we are in Christ. You ever met someone who's a compulsive rescuer? I got to be honest, as a pastor, this is, this is risky, right? It's something I can personally struggle with from time to time. It's easy to find my value and my worthiness in helping people who need help. I have to be careful to receive help myself. I have to be careful to make space to experience the kindness of the Lord myself, staying humble b- before him. When I'm running on E spiritually, it's easy to, to try to find a quick fix and be a hero rather than point people to Jesus. I was looking at, well, I look at Twitter regularly. I was going to say I was looking at Twitter the other day as if it was like an uncommon occurrence. Um, I'm working on it. But I was looking at Twitter the other day, right? And you know social media, the whole humble brag thing? Y'all know, Right? You do it, probably. I've done it. It's that kind of like, oh, I'm going to share this with everyone because it was such a wonderful experience. But it's in fact actually an opportunity for us to find some more value so others recognize what's going on in our lives. Celebrate with me, y'all. You know what I'm saying? But it's called a humble brag. It's not cool. It's not Christian either. Here's the deal. Jesus doesn't heal this man so he could humble brag, right? Here's a few humble brags I saw on Twitter this week. Just gave $100 to the homeless man I see every day here in Vancouver. Irrational kindness does feel really, really good. Thanks, bro. (laughs) I just did something very selfless. But more importantly, it was genuine, and I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. Hashtag so worth it. And here's the best one. A pastor. I'm truly humbled. You follow my tweets. I pray they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry. God bless all 200,000 of you. (laughs) Good job, man. You're really doing a good job. Jesus doesn't heal this man because he wants to become more confident in who he is. He heals the man because he is confident in who he is. 
Our kindness must come from a place of humility, knowing who we are in Christ. Finally, whole person kindness. Now, I could spend a ton of time here, and I really want to, but that thing says 28 minutes, and I've got to hurry. Got in trouble last service. Listen, the kindness of the fruit of the Spirit cares for the whole person. It's, it cares for their emotional health, their physical health, and their spiritual health. Loneliness is perhaps the most universal human experience. We all, since the fall, have been dealing with significant relational dysfunction. Notice the kindness of Jesus, though, to make space in his life and his schedule for a man who lived in isolation, for a man who was an outcast. He brought him back into community. He listened to this man as he begged. He heard his question. His question was, are you willing? Not, can you heal me? And Jesus says, I am willing be clean. He listened closely to this man's story. When's the last time you took time to connect with someone's feelings about their story? May we share the kindness of our Lord and others to others by being present to their emotions and their story. Secondly, it's physical kindness. Jesus had a reputation for letting the unclean come close, and he didn't just speak to them He often touches them, or they touch him. We know today that that studies from psychology show that, that, that touching has a powerful and lasting effect. Parents and children, brothers and sisters, lovers and spouses, friends and neighbors, all in their different ways will touch each other in a hug, a handshake, an embrace, a kiss, a light touch on the arm, a good deal of communication takes place via touching. Since you're reading that quote, I'll go ahead and say it. I'm not quite there yet. We need four hugs a day. Psychologists say we need four hugs a day to survive, eight hugs a day to maintain. We need 12 hugs a day to thrive. Now, I don't know if all that's true, okay? But I believe them. You need more hugs, and so do I. Our skin is the most powerful sensory organ. More than a half a million sensory fibers flow from the skin through the spinal cord into the brain. To be cut off from physical contact would be devastating to our growth and development as humans. Do you see what Jesus is doing in this story? He touches the man. He reconnects him to what it means to be human. When's the last time you touched someone for the purpose of showing kindness? Holy Spirit kind of touching. You can use your body to show kindness. So I challenge you before you leave this morning, hug someone that looks, acts, talks, maybe smells different than you. Let it ground you in your humanity and remind you of the power of touch. You were created that way. God didn't make a mistake when he put all those sensory fibers in your skin. He meant to do that. Fair warning, though, (laughs) physical gushing is about as offensive or worse than verbal gushing, okay? So be genuine when you express your affection, your genuine affection. 
knowing that your touch can express more kindness than a thousand words. Finally, and most importantly, whole person kindness is spiritual kindness. We talked about this at the beginning when we talked about the story. Jesus came to do for this man what no priest could ever do. He came to heal this man in a way that no human could ever bring healing. And he does the same for you and for me. And we ought to do the same for others. Healing reconnected the leper with God's presence in the temple and God's people. He could worship in the temple again. Christian kindness is always spiritual in nature. It has to do with one's soul, not simply their mind and body. The intent of Christian kindness is to reconnect people to God through Christ, just as Jesus reconciled this man's life to, his, to, his, to God and his community. We are called ambassadors of reconciliation. That means your job is to reconnect people as a Christian. Your job is to reconnect to people, people to life with God. And we do that in a number of ways. But we only do that through Jesus. You can't just do that through hugging people. I love hugs. I want hugs. But that doesn't save people's souls. Jesus' hugs probably did. But we're not Jesus. I can't just save people's souls by listening to their story and saying, that's a beautiful story. You're a beautiful person. I got to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> God's mission of kindness is, is, is a mission of spiritual reconnection. The Apostle Paul says it like this. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has, become, has begun. All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. He healed us. We go down and we see and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, making his appeal. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. There is no act of kindness greater than pleading with someone to come back to life with God. Life in the spirit means that we stop viewing people simply from a human point of view. Most of our reality is unseen. If you don't know what to do with a person in your life who's really hard to deal with, who you don't know how to be kind to, bring them to Jesus. He knows what to do with them. The very next story here in Luke 5 is four friends who have a, have a friend who, who, who's, who's broken, who's lame, who needs to be healed. And they come, they, they come to bring him to Jesus and the house where Jesus is teaching is completely full. So what do they do? You remember the story? They tear the roof off of the house. They climb to the top of the house, probably a little risky, right? Climb to the top of the house, tear the roof off. Wow, that's pretty confident in who they were. They weren't really worried about getting sued, I guess, right? They just did it. They got the man to Jesus, they did whatever they had to do. Are you that kind of friend? Do you show that kind of kindness to your friends? Are you desperate about their soul 
so desperate you would bring them to Jesus? Do you have those kind of friends in your life who care about your soul in such a way? Do they have your real best interest in mind? Do they ask you the hard questions? Do they point you to the love of God in Christ that is unchanging? You can build your life on it. Do you have those kind of friends? Spiritual kindness is, or uh, Christian kindness is spiritual kindness. Just as Jesus makes the leper clean and does for him what no priest could ever do, Christian kindness points people to Jesus, the one who can make them whole, the one who can do for them what no human could ever do. God help us as the seed of God's kindness is planted deep in the soil of our souls, the spirit of kindness will sprout up and bear fruit. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and a cup of wine, and he gave us a picture to remember his kindness. He gave us a picture to remember his vulnerability in going to the cross. He gave us a picture to remember his humility in that though he was God, he became man for us so that we might be saved. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread symbolizes my body, which was given and broken for you. When you eat it, remember me. He took a cup of wine after supper and he blessed it. And he said, this cup symbolizes the sealing of a new covenant between you and God. Nothing can snatch you from his hand. I'm dying for you. I'm healing you once and for all. Be made clean. That's what this, this meal represents. So when we take it this morning, when you break off a piece of the bread and you dip it into the juice or the wine, be reminded of God's kindness. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, may God plant the seed of salvation in your soul. Open up, listen to him. He is pursuing you. The kindness of our God leads to repentance. Draw near to him, respond to our Lord. As you come forward, there's stations in the front here for the front half of the room. There'll be stations in the back and in the balcony, gluten-free communion will be to my left and your right. As you come this morning, let the seed of kindness be planted in your soul. Be reminded of God's love and kindness to you. And let us go and show kindness to others. Let's pray.